0: Hello, and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemoblyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemoblishow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host, and thank you so much for joining us on the live show. If you're new here, The Joe Mobley Show is all about helping you live bold and courageous lives coming out of the conservative closet. And what that means to me is sharing your thoughts, your opinions, and your belief, no matter the situation or the circumstance. Tonight, we have the wife of a retired Marine officer, the mother of five, a homeschool mom, a tutor, a teacher, and recently a political candidate for Virginia House of Delegates, Miss Gina Ciarcia. Gina, how are you?
1: I'm well, how are you?
0: I am doing just fine. Thanks so much for agreeing to do the show. I've been looking forward to this interview and we've been exchanging messages. This was like the worst time for me with messages. We went out of town for four or five days and I think I have thirteen hundred emails. So uh <laughs> Well, thanks well. for
1: reaching out and thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on.
0: My pleasure, absolutely. Um, So, we've chatted a little bit behind the scenes in the green room that's never green and on social media. So, tell the people a little bit about yourself and why you are running for office in Virginia.
1: Well, as you said, I'm the wife of a retired Marine Corps officer. We have five children, and I am an educator. I homeschooled my own children for over a decade. I've tutored other people's children, I've taught in private schools. Um, and, you know, really what prompted me to run, I, I have imagined myself as many things. When I was a young girl, I wanted to be everything from a writer to an astronaut to a teacher. But politician was never on the list, ever. Um, but I have been really deeply disturbed by a lot of the things that I've been seeing going on in our country and here in our commonwealth. That have prompted me to get involved because I feel that I have an obligation and a duty to do so. So I'm a mom of five. My oldest, um, I have four boys and one girl. My oldest son, he is just turned 20 years old yesterday, and my youngest is six. And I also teach high school students. And so, as these you know young people in my life. Um, are entering into the world as young adults, I feel like we are failing to hand off to the next generation a country that is um, at least in the shape in which I received it in the mid-90s whenever I was their age. Um, Whenever I was a high school senior, graduating, going off to college, I was so excited about life and the opportunity and the prospects that were before me. I was fearless and raring to go. I was proud to be an American. I knew that I lived in the greatest country in the world. Um, the kids these days are not feeling that same way. They feel and sense innately and deeply the, the chaos, the division, um, the angst, the anxiety, there are not the same opportunities for them. Um, they feel like they are walking into a world. For instance, if you go to college and you're a conservative. You better learn how to keep your mouth shut. You better walk on eggshells. Um, I don't think that's right. That's not. Uh, that's not something better than what I received. That's and it's my duty. Um, to as a citizen, as a mother, as a teacher, to do what I can to ensure that the next generation is handed a country that we can be proud of. So instead of continuing to sit on the line sidelines and just kind of watch it all burn down, um, I decided, you know what, I am going to get into the arena, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring, I cannot affect what happens 30 miles up the road in D.C. in a place that my mom calls crazy town. I can't affect what goes on in crazy town, okay? Um, But I can affect what goes on in my local community, and I can run for local office, and so that's what I decided to do. So really, it's the young people in my life that has prompted me to get involved in local politics.
0: Well, I'm so glad you are because so many people are kicking the can down the road and they're saying, uh, my kids are kind of old and, and you've got a, a wide spread with a six-year-old. It reminds me of when I met my wife, uh, or not when I met, when I started dating my wife, she had a six-year-old sister and they have five kids, just a huge spread. Um, but we're knocking them out one at a time, six, five, three, and we're about to have our fourth child. Uh, but so many people are like, Eh, I'm this far in my career. My kids are graduated or near graduation. I'm not gonna stir the pot. But really, you have to for the young people in your life, just like you said. Um, you know, our kids have kids, and then we have grandchildren, and they, they have to, you know, they're gonna start the cycle in 20, 25, 30 years. Um, so we can't kick this can down the road. It's not it's not like Congress is never-ending spending. We're actually gonna see this play out. Um, And and like I put on the thumbnail, often the man in the arena these days is a woman. Uh, Here in Virginia, we had Alicia Andrews running for Congress, and we've got you and Winsome Sears and Julia Perry and uh, tons of people, Sarah Smith or Sarah White, uh, on the ballot. And I think it's awesome because, dudes, I, I don't know where you're at. You know, I don't
1: know where you're at either.
0: Yeah. like well, I, I <laughs> so have... women are
1: stepping up to the plate for sure. <laughs> um, and I think, though, that for many women, it is their children that prompts them to get involved. Yes. Um, that really is a driving factor for many of us, because when you when you think about, well, what will our country be like or what will our, our commonwealth be like when my kids are my age? It's. A little bit frightening if it continues on the same path that it's on now. Um, And if you're not optimistic about what it's going to be like in another 20 years, then what are you doing about it? Because if you're just kicking the can down the road, you're basically just passing off the responsibility to somebody else. And you're saying, I'm abdicating my duty. I'm not going to do it.
0: Exactly. Um, so, we're going to talk about a couple things tonight, uh, ranging from education, law enforcement, and beyond. Uh, people watching live, if you have questions, then go ahead and type them in the chat near the end of the interview. We'll be posting some of your questions and answering them live. Uh, it'd help me out greatly if before and after your question, you just type a couple of question marks. Uh, so, there are so many things facing the children. We've been talking about children. What do you think the chief Issues, the chief problems facing America's children, Virginia's children, your children. What do you think those chief problems are?
1: I think in America we have grossly underestimated the formative power of education. So I think we have um, we have whittled education down to a very uh, to a very superficial level. We basically say, okay. Education is about putting a lot of knowledge into my kid's head so that they'll do well on their SATs, and then they'll be able to get into a good college. And from that, they'll be able to get a good-paying job so they can have a nice house and live a comfortable life. And that's the purpose of education, is you know, to go from kindergarten to the nice, comfortable house with a cozy uh, job. That really... That is, like I said, it's a very superficial um, view of what education is. Education actually is extremely formative. It molds the soul and the mind of the individual. It um, teaches the child um, what the world is all about and his or her place in the world. It teaches the child what is most important. Um, it teaches the child what their purpose is or whether they even have one at all. Um, That's really powerful. So through homeschooling and the teaching that I have done in private schools, um, it has always been from a classical Christian perspective. That perspective, I think, is, is far more accurate because our purpose as teachers is to orient the child's affections properly and to point them toward truth truth. Um, um powerful then um um knowledge in kids' heads. So that
0: Oh, hang on, Gina. We're
1: we're
0: we're losing you a little bit. Gina, can you hear me?
1: Not sure. And can you hear me?
0: I can now. It looks like we're going to have a Dick Black interview. Yes, I can hear you now. (laughs) Can you? Okay, I'm not sure what might
1: have happened, but. Yeah, I think we've just, um, we've underestimated um, what education is and what it's capable of, right? And so in the classical Christian tradition um, in which I have educated my own children and other people's children, it is, the purpose of it is to orient properly the child's affections and to point them toward truth, Um that's a whole different ball of wax than we want you to get a good job and have a nice house and car. So um, we have, and because we have underestimated the power of education, we have been kind of loose with the things that have been taught in our schools. So we haven't been attending well to the curriculum, what's being pushed. um, And I think many parents during the pandemic when their kids were at home and they were then able to be kind of quasi in the classroom via online learning, they their eyes were opened up to a lot of the things that their kids were being taught and they were surprised and not in a good way. So I know, uh, you know, up in Loudoun County, especially, there's been a huge um, outcry over uh, the implementation of facets of critical race theory in the classroom and rightly so. Um, But it's probably been going on a whole lot longer than what parents truly realize is just because um, as parents, we are often we're really busy and we're not necessarily attending well to what our kids are being taught. You know, a lot of times parents, as long as they see good grades, they're satisfied. and They're not going to ask a lot of questions.
0: Yeah, that is not a satisfactory way to go about it, parents. Um, it's unfortunate, but kind of like you alluded to, COVID, the lockdowns, the at-home schooling, the work from home, school from home, really brought a lot of these things to light. I know that's what now Now, with Fight for Schools and, and me being really involved with the recall effort at the Loudoun County School Board, every day I get a text, an email, a tweet, something that I had no idea this was going on. We saw Ian, we saw you, we saw Sheevan Fleet, someone speaking somewhere and pulled their kids or um, opted the kids out of certain stuff. And both of those are great options. We homeschool ours as well. Uh, But another thing is you and your kids need to make your voices heard. You need to uh, write the superintendents. You need Mm -hmm. to show up at the school board meetings. Um, you're going a step further than that because we always say what matters in this constitutional republic, with the 50 states, with the federalism, with the checks and balances. What matters is local government uh, and then state government. That's just the way it is. We see that with Texas and Florida always being in the news uh, because they basically say to the federal government all the time, "Yeah, we're not going to do that." And uh, you are going into that process. If you went into that process, into that those sacred halls uh, in in Richmond and apologies for you having to go there. Uh, If you just had a magic wand and boom, you could change some things uh, in the state of Virginia. What's kind of like your, your high three list.
1: Yeah. So first of all, I would uh, definitely implement school choice in Virginia. Okay. So if you're thinking about, you know, the issue of CRT in the classroom, well you know what if we had school choice that would kind of dissipate and go away on its own because parents would get tuned in to CRT and they obviously most of them would not want their children uh, being instructed in that way and then in utilizing that theory for their um, classroom instruction and so they wouldn't send their children to schools that utilized CRT in the classroom um, I feel really strongly that if schools had to compete for students, like businesses have to compete for customers, it would be a total game changer in the state of Virginia. It, it would just totally revolutionize education because schools would have to do well and they would have to satisfy their customers, which would be the parents. Um, and if they didn't, They wouldn't last. Uh, People wouldn't attend their schools. And it would, it would just really, I think, make, um, it would give parents far more, um, far more say in where their kids obviously go to school, but what their kids are taught in school. So I think it would be great to have school choice in Virginia. And I think our children would benefit greatly. Also, you have you know certain uh, certain groups of students, underprivileged um, students who are stuck in a bad school because that's just the school that they're zoned for, and um, they they don't get the um, the revenues to you know have all the nice things and the bells and whistles. That would give them an opportunity to go to a much better school instead of being stuck. In a poor um, school with poor performance, so I think if if we really want to talk about equity, um, school choice that's a great way to go. But you know, the folks the same folks who are talking about equity they don't like school choice, um, maybe because they're so deep in the sheets with the uh, teachers unions. I think that has a lot to do with it.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought up school choice. And just I try and put this myth to bed as, as often as I can. Guys, this is why school choice is better. Uh, because even in the worst school districts in the nation, thinking Washington, D.C., um, inner city schools in Detroit and Chicago, those schools have the most dollars per pupil, period, where most schools will have somewhere between 6000 and up to twelve thousand, the terrible schools have fifteen twenty twenty two thousand dollars a year per student per pupil mm-hmm. i don 't know where that money's going i I've been to some of these know. schools uh you know our friend uh paul um paul lott's been to many of these schools throughout the nation. The books are 50 and 60 years old. They don't have computers. Sometimes they share desks. They share resources. How are you supposed to read a book at night if you and a classmate share the book? What are they doing with the twenty, you know, more than $20,000 they're getting? I have no idea. Instead of this insider trading nonsense they have going on, uh, maybe they save uh, 10% for the big guy. But School Choice would give that money to the parent, with the stipulation that they have to use it on the child's education. And people mm-hmm. talk about poor moms, poor dads. If someone gave me a check for $20,000 and said, well, they'd have to give us, we're about to have four. So $80,000 and said, educate your kids well, I think we could figure it out. You know, I think we'd be able to afford it. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you hear of people saying? What do you hear people saying about school choice? Uh, The naysayers or the people that are hesitant, maybe, um, maybe people of faith, maybe conservatives, independents, people that are feeling it out. Uh, What are their hesitations?
1: You know, I, whenever I bring it up to people, very rarely do you come across a detractor who says, no, I think school choice is a bad idea. Um, People are really for it um, and would like to have the option of choosing where their kid goes to school. Um, the only time I hear, you know, someone who's rather skeptical about it is they just wonder how it's going to affect teachers, really. Um, and maybe that's because they, uh, they're worried about teachers union. I'm not sure. But really, overwhelmingly, people are for school choice and would like to have it. But the powers that be currently are not going to deliver it.
0: Yeah, I think there's an education issue with information and awareness on school choice. Uh, Another common thing is that there aren't enough good schools or kids will somehow end up going to the less performing schools. I performing schools essentially go out of business. Right. School choice is widely adopted. Um, you exactly. Know, yeah, and, you
1: know, and we probably would not have the same situation where you have almost 30 students in the classroom. That's far too many students. I I can tell you that from personal experience It's just too many, even in, teaching in a private school setting, your, your classroom sizes are much smaller. they are about half that, 15 students. That right there is enough. So, and another thing too, that I think people are um, maybe a little bit confused about, many times there's a push that, you know, we need all these bells and whistles. We need all these computers and iPads and all this technology you know, I will tell you, Joe, I have taught classically for at least 15 years. You, you don't need that. <laughs> you do not need all the bells and whistles. It is amazing the rich heritage that we have as uh, the benefactors of Western civilization. There are so many fantastic books to read, whether you're talking about something more of a history bent like um, Polybius, Livy, uh, St. Augustine, um, Aquinas. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Or you're talking about great literature. What you really need, I've always been persuaded that if you have a library, pen, and paper, and a dedicated teacher, that's all you need to learn and it's amazing the the students um, that I have taught, when they graduate, they are so well prepared, so incredibly just smart and well educated, so much far beyond what I was at their age. You know, I went to a public school in North Carolina in a rural area. Oh, my gosh, they just so much supersede Uh, where I was at, at their age. It's really incredible. So you don't need all the bells and whistles. You, You really just need great books, lots of writing, and a dedicated teacher, and you'll do fantastic.
0: I agree. We don't have any of that stuff here. We have two computers in this house with almost six people, And, uh, we might have, I think my wife has an iPad. Anyway, I digress. Um, so I know you want to talk about some other things. Let's move into public safety. Um, you know, you can take this where you want the national issue, the Virginia issue, the district two issue that you're hoping to be able to represent, uh, those constituents, but, What do you see being some of the biggest public safety concerns? And and guys, public safety ranges from emergency medicine to cleanliness in the cities to law enforcement, emergency uh, emergency management. That's what I do. Uh, Public safety is just a huge umbrella. Um, So talk to us a little bit about what you see the issues being and and what you hope to uh, what change you hope to see.
1: Well, we all know how our our law enforcement has really taken a beating over the last 18 months unfairly. You know, we're coming up on September 11th and I've been thinking about this quite a bit, particularly with all the things that are happening now in Afghanistan and oh my goodness, what will September 11th, 2021 look like? But, you know, on that day 20 years ago when the The Twin Towers fell, the Pentagon uh, was, you know, damaged because a plane flew into it and the other plane in the field in Pennsylvania. Our first responders, our police, our firemen, our EMTs, man, they really showed up. And they were rightly hailed as heroes, many of them died that day and knew that when they ran into that building that they could very well not come out of it and so we we praised them for their heroism for their dedication for their service what has changed in the last 20 years because the police haven't changed they're still the heroes they're still the public servants they're still willing to put themselves in harm's way and in dangerous situations that the rest of us would opt out of. So they haven't changed. It's just society and the political atmosphere has changed and really turned on them. And and calls for their defunding, to be honest with you, are reckless and irresponsible. And the politicians who have entertained that and even led the charge against our law enforcement really do not care about the community and the public safety at large because they are attacking the very ones who are charged with keeping the public safe. And as you can see, in Virginia, crime is on the rise and it's only going to continue to rise because what has happened is, is we have demoralized our police force. So who, who wants to work in an occupation that is derided by the public as the police have been over the last 18 months? So those who are able to retire have done so. And with them goes the knowledge and the experience of their years as law enforcement officers. Recruitment, obviously, is at an all-time low because, you know, people people aren't really raising their hand to be a police officer right now because it's, you know, gosh, they they've really... Why would they? Yeah. And so now we're in a situation where our police force is inadequately staffed, the people with years of experience have left, and recruitment is at an all-time low. So who suffers? The community suffers. Response times are longer. Um, Crime goes up because you have fewer, you know, feet on the ground to, to actually, you know, work the beat. And most of the time, it is the underserved and underprivileged who bear the brunt of this. So, you know, that's, In Prince William County, we have, uh, we're blessed with a really great police force that has a very high satisfaction rating from the community, 96% actually. Unfortunately, those people will oftentimes take something that happens on the other side of the country, some other place, some other state, and they will just kind of apply that situation and that that mindset to our police officers here who are not guilty of those things, who have not done that, do not not have a record of behaving or acting in a particular way or against a particular race. And uh, so it creates a really unfair um, situation. I think it's very important for lawmakers to work with the police force and not against the police force. us. Um, and the same thing goes too for like for instance for fire and rescue. You know, when we when we create a situation, not necessarily where they're being derided and, and debased like the police have been, but maybe they're not they're not funded as well as they should be. We're not looking out for our first responders. It's hard for retention becomes a problem for them too. Recruitment becomes a problem for them as well. Um, and then we complain about the the lag in the response time. Well, there aren't enough people to staff it. So lawmakers need to work with the law enforcement and first responders so uh, that we can really be um, a blessing to the community, right? And not work against them. That doesn't help anybody. And who it hurts the most are the the poor and the underserved
0: Absolutely, you know, I agree. We're seeing retirements across the country in law enforcement. Uh, requests for early retirements you had mentioned, uh, recruitments at an all-time low. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people don't know about law enforcement is, you know, the Supreme Court has upheld this many times that most everything in law enforcement is discretionary, uh, meaning that there are calls that officers can ignore. And in some places for good reason, because everyone, you know, as a conservative, we're walking on eggshells and the stakes are low. Someone at work might not like me. Um, Law enforcement are walking on a totally different set of eggshells where a small miscommunication, they have to labor over every word, every action, every glance Uh, can end their career, can cost them their freedom, separate them from their families, tank their financial future. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've seen some hilarious videos in Chicago, police driving away from shootouts, because frankly, the last thing that a police officer wants to do is shoot a black person, a brown person, whatever the acronym of the week is. I think BIPOC is like the latest and greatest. Uh, Anyway, because that makes sense. But they they don't want to be there any more than we would want to find ourselves in a firefight. Uh, but the fact is they rose their right hand and swore to, to protect us and defend the constitution. Um, so they do, they go to those calls and they need the community support, but they need mm-hmm. the support of local state and federal government. Um, so I, I just think that's a powerful thing to have, uh, on your ticket. Um, and, and, you know, I hope that the campaign goes really well. Um, we're about halfway through the episode. And uh, I do want to take a second to answer or to uh, do a fan request because I wear these shirts around town and everyone around town can see them. Uh, but I've gotten a lot of comments and emails. And thank you guys for those emails. That email address is ask at the Joe like, what does your shirt say? Because I can't get all of me in the shop. So this is what my shirt says. I'm going to try and always post these when I'm doing live shows. If you want to get your uncloseted conservative gear, like the shirt I'm wearing now, you can go to the slash shop. And while you are in the money spending mood, you should definitely go over to Gina's website, which I think we can pull up here. Oh, it's it's backwards. Hmm. Always something uh, always something to learn on StreamYard. There we go. Uh, and the address, it was on the screen there, Gina4Virginia.com. You can learn a little bit more about her, her platform. You can check her out on Twitter. Um, money-spending mood. That's what I was saying. And you should donate. You should donate to Gina's campaign. We need people like her in office uh, here in Virginia, but also nationwide. And part of the way that we get that done um, is through doing stuff like this. But another big part is through uh, donating and volunteerism. Uh, So that's the end of the shameless plug. Um, Guys, if you have questions, I think I saw one or two questions in the chat, get them in now. We're going to hit them in about 10, 15 minutes. Um, Put question marks before and after, and I promise we will answer your questions uh, live. All right. So we hit on law enforcement. We hit on uh, the public safety angle. Uh, We got to talk about CRT. You touched on it in the beginning. I watched a speech of yours. That was really good. Um, obviously, if you couldn't tell, audience, uh, we're both believers, Bible thumping, the official Bible thumper. Um, my my computer's, I, I'll i say this because I emailed it to you, my computer's on like uh, a theology dictionary and a, a study Bible box. That's what like raises my computer to be eye level. Uh, but you mentioned two things in the speech. One it's abs- it's absurd it's racist it's prejudicial CRT is uh, but the believer to not have a problem with it is incredibly you know problematic theologically because of that that disparate outcome because inequality exists and when you said when we die some people are going to heaven some people are going to hell and just that difference there according to Crt would mean that God's you know, a bigot or racist, uh, prejudicial in some way, um, and I thought, "Wow, I'm stealing he's, that." He's so I'm telling you now. <laughs> yeah, I said he's,
1: he's prejud, uh, prejudice against sinners.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I wonder, you know, I wondered how when I I know what uh, you're you're talking about was speech. Um, I wonder how that part of, was received. I wonder how many people I surprised in the room with that one. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think they were expecting me to go there.
0: I thought it was great, and I'm going to be using it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so let me talk about a little bit about that more. So as a Christian, you cannot embrace the tenets of critical race theory, and there's multiple reasons for that. Okay, so like I had mentioned in that speech, when we die— we don't all end up in the same place with the same outcome. We will have different outcomes. Some people will be in heaven. Some people will be in hell, but it's, it's kind of like the Johnny Cash song when the man comes around. Not everyone will be treated all the same. Do you know what song I'm talking about, Joe? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Okay. So it's like that. Not everyone is going to be treated all the same. We will have different outcomes. Another reason too, why CRT does not jive with Christianity is, you know, in Matthew 18, the Bible tells us, if you have an issue with your brother, go to him and be reconciled with your brother. Okay. So God is interested in reconciliation He's interested in mending the breach, okay, repairing the ruins. Critical race theory does not allow for that. That's not an option. That's not where it's going at all. Reconciliation is not in the picture with CRT. It just is not. Um, there, There is no option for that. It's based in, you know, Marxist theory. So you have the oppressor and the oppressed. And you know what you're really aiming for is is the the oppressed folks will eventually um, be able to negate the power of the of the oppressor. Um, for instance, in uh, Marx's Communist Manifesto, he's looking at it from an economic standpoint, and one of the ways to level the playing field is to remove all private property. Okay, he has. I think about 10 like major um, points that he makes at, at the end of the manifesto. Of, okay. These are at least the 10 things that we have to do in order to level the playing field. So everybody's the exact same. Uh, that,
0: that, that's that what not, they said, but yeah. it's interesting in the Soviet union. They also did this in China. It's interesting. They still have a rich ruling class and kind of yeah. a peasant poor class.
1: Sure, of course, because someone has to be in charge. It's the same thing in animal farm, you know, with the pigs. They they end up having the nicer stuff, but everybody else has to, you know, grovel down there at the bottom. Um, and then another reason, too, why CRT does not jive with Christianity, look at the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. So in Matthew 25, Jesus gives us a parable about um three men that were each given talents by their master. And one received 10, another received five, another received one. Okay, so they're not starting off at the same place. They have various levels. And then the master goes away and he says, you know, take, take care of the funds that I gave you and I'll be back later. And so the one who received the 10 He goes out, he invests it, he makes good business deals, and he's able to gain 10 more. Same thing with the guy who started off with five. You know, he works it, and he's smart and shrewd, and he gets five more. And the guy who receives the one, he's just afraid of losing the one. So he just buries it in the ground and hides it. Master comes back. He's very pleased with the first two guys, the 10 and the five. Well done. Good job, guys. He comes to the one who, you know, digs it up out of the ground and says, you know, you're not really a fair guy. I knew you're kind of a hard guy. I didn't want to get in trouble for losing it. So I just buried it and put it in the ground. And the master was extremely displeased because he had not exerted effort in trying to, you know, bring about more um, and multiply what he was given instead. He just sat on it basically And the master was really furious with him and said, couldn't you have at least put it in the bank so I could have earned some interest off of it? You know, get out of here. (laughs) So God is really, you know, we don't all start off in the same place. Is that not fair? Okay, sure, that's not fair. But that doesn't mean that it's not just. So fairness and just, that's not the same. But critical race theory wants you to think that just equals fair, but just and fair are not the same thing, right? Like I said earlier, we will all end up, you know, in one of two places. Not everybody will be treated all the same. You're going to some will be in heaven, some will be in hell. But does that mean that God is unjust? Absolutely not. So justice and fairness are not the same thing, but critical race theory wants you to think that they are. They also want you to think that equity is the same thing as equality, and they are not the same either. They sound a lot alike, so people get confused and they kind of use them interchangeably. But equity means like equal outcomes, which no one has been promised that. The Declaration of Independence doesn't promise us that. The Constitution doesn't promise us that. God does not promise us that. We will not have equal outcomes. And to be honest with you, who really does want that? Because if, if we live in a world where, okay, everybody's going to be all the same, you will never have great men because we will all be mediocre. There will be none that will be great amongst us. Nobody wants that. And um, so there's there's just several ways in which critical race theory and Christianity not only do they not line up, but they're really antithetical to one another. And it is an affront to the gospel of Christ. Um, it, it just it just really is. It's it's not good news. Critical race theory is not good news for anybody.
0: I I take really slim down notes. I got five points. And the fifth point is ask her about the parable of the talents because so many people need to know this message. It's meritocracy. It's personal responsibility. Actions have consequences. Where I started and where I am now is not dictated by the starting point. You know, what's, what's it unfair? Yeah. Maybe. Was it just, yeah, you know, we, we all do deserve the same thing. We we deserve, you know, like a fire, perpetual death and all that. And thankfully that's not, that's not what we've been given. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, everyone knows that bumper sticker saying if you gave, if you just redistributed all the money in the world to everyone evenly within five years, the classes would be back. The rich and powerful would be rich and powerful. It's because discipline, work ethic, yeah. um, weighing risk versus reward, making those decisions that the uh, the two in the parable of the talents made. Um, that's all. That's all that we're asking. You know. Yeah. And teachers yeah. teachers feel better about a student who tried really hard and got a B mm-hmm. or a C, uh, then the student that just slacks off doesn't give a crap who got the B or the C. So right. transfers in in tool in personal finance and promotions at work. Like this is the message people need.
1: Mm-hmm. And you know, it's great because we live in America in a country where you can pursue, you know, your potential. You can pursue your talents. Um And not every country is like that. I mean, we think back to the Soviet Union. Think, you know, to some of today's, um, you know, socialist countries. You just don't have the opportunity. Now, America gives you that opportunity. You have the opportunity to succeed. You also have the opportunity to fail. And you know what? Some Some of the greatest successes you know, they failed many times before they, they hit it and succeeded. So, you know, failure is not necessarily a bad thing. It could just be, you know, a a stop on the way to success, but America gives you the opportunity to reach your fullest potential and you can succeed and can, you can succeed greatly. I mean, look at some of the, you know, people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, you know, they have had brilliant ideas and they have been able to execute them well and wow, look at what they have accomplished and what they've done and what they've earned for themselves. Um, So the opportunity for that is here. There's also the opportunity, you know, to end up in prison. (laughs) That can happen too.
0: (laughs) You know, before we answer people's questions i just i have to say this this doesn't have anything to do but the topics directly but I, I something you said just reminded me like you end up wherever you're going to end up and it, it could be greatness it could be wealth it could be jail um but this is basically the only place that you can pursue it was you can pursue your potential that's what you said uh mm-hmm. That's uniquely American. That's yes. not something uh, that existed, you know, after the Industrial Revolution, the, the middle class was basically created by America. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that brings us into the last topic uh, before we take your questions. So again, get them in. I only see Casey's question in there. Uh, so we'll, we'll answer it and be done. But the principles of Americanism, what what is fundamental to the United States of America? What are your thoughts on that? And how do you hope to just like elucidate that for the public? Because the youths are being challenged with CRT are being challenged with if they're white, believing that they're bad, if they're straight, believing that they're privileged, if they're male, uh, believing that they're bad and privileged and toxic. Um, But for adults and society broadly, there's an attack on Americanism and what makes this union work, Uh, why this country is great. Oh, my gosh, people hate seeing me in a Make America Great hat. And honestly, it's not about Donald Trump. It's about starting conversations. And all of those conversations lead to the problem of evil and the cross. But it's also about, yeah, yeah, that's a darn good slogan. America's on the downward, on the decline, and we want to make it great again. Uh, So what's your message about Americanism, about the principles that bring the nation together?
1: Yeah, so, you know, in school, I've done a lot of teaching uh, of history and Western civilization. I... I wish everyone could be taught history this way. So in ninth grade, I teach ancient history, 10th grade medieval, and then 11th modern European and 12th American history. So you get the whole span of Western civilization in your high school career. I think that is fantastic because it helps you to realize how unique and exceptional America truly is. So America did not just come about spontaneously. Um, and, and maybe there are multiple, you know, versions. People fail to realize that it took well over 2,000 years of political thought in the West in order for it to culminate in basically our Declaration of Independence and then later our U.S. Constitution, okay? It took over 2,000 years of people thinking in the West about good governance before we got to our Declaration of Independence. Okay, so that right there should give you pause and make you think, wow, America really is something special. Yes, indeed, America is special. The truths that were declared in, by Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence were audacious, okay? They had the idea that all, all men are created equal, that had never been expressed before in the history of the West. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go into teacher mode. Let me say that again. That had never been expressed, written down like that in the history of the West until Jefferson wrote it down in 1776, okay? So I think a lot of Americans, because maybe they they didn't learn their history really well, maybe they were kind of tuned out, they were kind of bored, their teacher was old and stuffy, um, they don't get that. They don't understand how exceptional America truly is. And you know when we look at what are some of the founding principles, the things that really root us as Americans, you know, I think of a three-legged stool, and each leg of the stool represents one thing: so order, justice, and freedom. So if you take one of those legs of the stool out, um, you're going to collapse onto the floor. It's not going to it's not going to hold weight. So Whenever we think about freedom, if you ask a student, oh, what does freedom mean? A lot of times they'll say, well, that means you get to do whatever you want to do. And mm, no, (laughs) that's really not what freedom is. Uh, Particularly, that's not at all the way our founders would have thought about freedom. It's not what freedom is in the classical sense of that term. Freedom is really, I guess you sum it up best. And you have the freedom to do what you ought to do, not what you want to do. Um so you become a master of your own life you get to you have the right to make those choices and then accept the responsibility and consequences of those choices so it behooves you to do what you ought to do because then you enjoy greater freedom actually um so and then order order would be another leg of the stool so That is really a maintenance of peace and harmony in society, okay? So we can see how if you think freedom is getting to do whatever you want to do, then your order is really going to suffer as a result of that, okay? Um, We saw last summer with the, the summer season of rioting, a lot of disorder, a lot of chaos, um, that really attacks like a founding principle uh, of Americanism because we're, we're grounded and rooted in order and freedom and justice. Um, so, you know, justice is, you know, a man gets to keep what is rightfully his and pursue those things that he is best fitted for, pursue his potential and, um, and, you know, well, what is rightfully yours and how do you keep it? Well, one of the things, you know, law comes into this too, because, you know, order is maintained through obedience to just laws. Laws have to be enforced. The purpose of law is to protect your person and your property and your liberty. But, laws don't mean anything if they're not enforced. So attacks on the police who enforce our laws are actually attacks upon our laws, which then attacks those legs of the stool, particularly order and justice. So these are things that, you know, without freedom, order, and justice, if we just lose one of them, it it really jeopardizes our entire American society. And I don't think that it takes a lot of Um, insight to be able to see how all three of those are really under attack right now in America. Uh, For instance, you know, our, our freedoms, freedom of speech and freedom of religion particularly are under attack right now. Um, Order, just like I said, last summer with, with the rioting and, and a lot of times even now still how certain groups like Antifa uh, are able to act and break the law with impunity. Um, and then justice, critical race theory, social justice. They use that term social justice, but it's not true justice that they seek at all. It's a twisted, perverted form of justice. Um, so, you know, all three legs of the stool are really under attack right now. And it's important that we have lawmakers that, that understand this and understand what America is truly founded on and and what makes us thrive, we have prospered like no other nation in the history of the world. What has enabled that to come about? We need to have lawmakers that understand that and that respect that.
0: I am muted. Absolutely. You know, Man, if I, if I lived in your district, I'd vote for you because you nailed it. You're just saying all this stuff, and what I'm hearing is she studied. She's read these books, and she understands the application from Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. There's Thomas Aquinas, the saint among philosophers thrown in, John Locke, Thomas mm-hmm. Jefferson. Like, knowing and understanding the founders when they wrote these documents, it wasn't they just sat around and thought, what should we put together, guys? No, they understood. They had read Plato's Republic. They understood, like you said, thousands of years of governments instituted by man. Mm-hmm. And and Washington coming along and saying, hey, we're, we're not, oh, no, that was Madison. Say, we're not going to pretend like nations are built, uh, uh, or like the people that inhabit nations are angels. We're, we're all after our own ends. Uh, man, that's like another thread that can be a whole another hour, uh, but we're nearing the end. Casey, we're going to answer your one question, um, and thanks for reminding me about this also. Casey Gates, what would I, where would I be without Casey Gates? Uh, but guys, if you watched this far, then you enjoyed the content, so please like, share, and subscribe. Uh, go ahead and share it with a friend, someone that you think might like this as well. You guys have been sending me a lot of notes about my script and I always forget this. I end up posting it in the comments, but I'm remembering right now. Uh, I'm remembering my affiliate is Plug and Law. Uh, So lots of content creators, business owners, um, people that have e-commerce businesses out there. There are some things that you need to have in your business on your website and whatever you do to operate legally in the United States, things like disclaimers, terms of service, trademarks, things like that. Uh, I'm not a lawyer and I don't play one on TV. So I use Plug and Law. I've got a couple of these products and you should too... She uh, Erica, that runs this business, is a lawyer. Um, she's also a content creator, and she created this awesome business where you can plug in the details of your business, and it will spit out terms of service. Uh, you can get mandatory arbitration agreements. You can take her Mastering YouTube uh, course, which I have not taken, full disclosure there. Uh, but that's today's affiliate. The affiliate link is in the in the description, I think. Yeah, that's what it's called. Uh, and Casey, it's, it's time, it's time for your question. So, uh, I'm going to go and find it, but I know what it is. Should everyone just homeschool? That's, that's the question.
1: Um, I highly recommend it. (laughs) I highly recommend homeschooling. I would say if people have been considering homeschooling. You're kind of on the fence. Should we, should we not? I say, go for it. And the reason why is twofold. Your kids, you're going to get great time with your kids. Okay. If you don't feel confident that like, oh, I don't know if I know enough to teach my fifth grader, then you need to be questioning the education that you received in your own, in your own life. Um, But, One of the great things about it is you as the parent, you get to make up for all the things that you didn't learn when you weren't paying attention in school, or maybe you didn't have a great teacher that year, or maybe you went to a subpar school. Uh, Like I said, you know, I went to a small rural, you know, public school in North Carolina, and I have truly learned more than I learned in my undergraduate degree through my years of homeschooling my kids. So you talk about, yeah, she studied, she's read all those books. You're right. And I, le- I read oh, a fun. lot of my homeschooling, my kids. Yes, so I, I think if you, if your family can make it work, absolutely do it.
0: I agree. And we're in the midst of that now with a kindergartner and a second grader. And yes, hearing them d- describe what they're learning, seeing them run around the backyard playing Christopher Columbus and stuff. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's learning all over again. Uh, we are going to go a minute over because I see another question. And yeah, I can't, uh, can't go without this one. Uh, Casey Gates asks, is it going to take another 9-11 and get everyone back on the same page? Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Um, I don't know. I hope not, but possibly yes. So the pandemic, you know, I was joking with a neighbor early earlier on in the pandemic. I said, you know, we would we wouldn't have all the the infighting over mask no mask vaccine no vaccine whatever if this pandemic was more deadly if it was more deadly if we were battling something like the plague you would see some cohesion amongst people I, I think it it might take something you know catastrophic like nine eleven to kind of rattle us um, out of this. Constant infighting, this constant biting and tearing at one another, uh, something's going to have to give. And I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like, but I do think that things will get worse before they get better. Yep.
0: I agree. So uh, hopefully. Hopefully we don't have another 9/11 type event. So that is all that we have for you guys tonight. Uh, I am going to give the the floor to Gina for the last word, which is you'll you'll answer this question. If you haven't seen a show, then it'll be a surprise. Um, but yeah, I'll I'll put you on the screen. You'll answer the question. I am going to do a shout out because I just see I just started on Facebook and I see uh, Devon Peters. Uh, my old battle buddy from the army, I hope you're doing well, brother. But he says that you are nailing it, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, so I uh, hope you're doing well, uh, Peters. So you get the last word. If you could snap your fingers, get everyone on earth to read and understand one book, uh, what would it be and why? And you can't pick the Bible, because all Christians would pick the Bible. All Muslims would pick the Quran. Uh, so... In this world, everyone's read and understood. Oh, well, if everyone read and understood. No, yeah, that doesn't work. But what would you pick and why? And you can take us out.
1: (sighs) Oh, Joe, gosh, you're asking (laughs) me to nail it down to one book. Oh, man. Um,
0: (laughs) You can do an author. I've had someone, someone tricked me and they picked a whole author, like a whole series.
1: Okay, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. Okay, I feel very strongly that there are, are three things that you need to be well read in in order to really and truly understand Western civilization and the human person. Number one is the Bible. And I know I can't say that. So, okay, the Bible, yes. Number two, Shakespeare. And number three, Greek mythology. Bible, Shakespeare, and Greek mythology. Those are the three that if you are well-read and well-versed in those, then you will understand and appreciate Western civilization and the human condition. There we go.
0: Awesome. Well, Gina Ciarcia, thanks for joining us, guys. Go over to her website, gina for virginia uh, If you're in the area, then volunteer for her campaign. And if you're not, then volunteer some of your money to her campaign. And uh, I'm sure she'd appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining the show. I hope you have a wonderful week.
1: Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. Take care and have a good night.
0: Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.